Hi, you're listening to Magecast, the ensemble podcast by the well-read mage and a cast of mages. Each episode, I sit down with my rotating panel of guests to have some civil discourse about a single game. We're a group of games writers dedicated to long-form content and critique. You can find us on WordPress at thewellreadmage.com, on Twitter at thewellreadmage, and on YouTube. Crowdfunding support makes projects like Magecast possible. If you enjoy our work, written or otherwise, you can check out our Patreon campaign at patreon.com forward slash thewellreadmage for more information on exclusives, rewards, and our vision for a future of better games writing and a friendlier gaming community. Links are in the description. Don't forget to like, follow, subscribe, and share Magecast with your fellow adventurers. Leave us a review, too. Oh, and now let's start the show. Hi, welcome to Magecast. My name is the Well-Read Mage, a.k.a. Moses. Today, I am pleased to um, announce that uh, we're doing the first one-on-one, the first one-versus-one, the first uh, solo guest episode of Magecast. So it should be a delight. Hopefully it's a delight. Otherwise, uh, it won't be. But I have today with me an exceptional individual who goes under the handle of normal, but you know, just don't sell yourself short, man. It you're, you're a great individual. You're right. You seem like a happy guy. This is the first time I've ever seen your face. Let's, let's hear a little bit about yourself, sir. Tell us about yourself and your work if you would. And, uh, and we'll get introductions underway. Sure. My name is Matthew Estes. Um, along with my wife, Nikki, uh, I actually run the blog Normal Happenings. And so our blog is about appreciating everyday life. So we take things that are pretty much common in real life and we talk about how meaningful they are. Um, I tend to talk a lot about video games because video games mean a lot to me. So I'm a fan, fan of a lot of different uh, franchises. Uh, especially Nintendo franchises, but you know, I'm here on a Sonic podcast today. So uh, (laughs) spoilers, this is a Sonic podcast. (laughs) Hopefully it's also in the title. (laughs) Yeah, it does. It does. (laughs) Um, So uh, I'm just uh, really excited to be uh, doing this podcast with you today. Um, So I'm initially from, uh, believe it or not, um, Alabama. So I may not have that detectable of a Southern accent, I tried yeah. very hard as a kid to kind of work that out of my system, but ah. pretty much everybody in my life there has a Southern accent, but I moved to St. Louis for a job uh, about a year and a half ago. And so I, I really like St. Louis as well. I tend to fit in pretty well there uh, with my personality and everything. So um, I am a graphic artist and, uh, Along with along with doing blogging, uh, basically I'm an animator, so I work a lot in Adobe After Effects to make you know really good animations. Uh, for um, it's kind of a place in the avionics industry. Can't go into too much detail about that, but it's um, it's a really interesting job that I very much enjoy. Um, I got my master's degree at Auburn University in communications. And so, yeah, I, I do a lot of working with people, uh, really getting to know people. So it's uh, something that I very much enjoy. 
Um, so one of the things that I know that you are going to be involved in soon is uh, something called the Games That Define Us, yes, uh, which is a really big collaboration of 35 different bloggers. So I'm super excited to read everybody's post. What it is is that takes um, everybody's game that is most a part of their life, and they're basically telling stories about that particular game, it, how meaningful it is and how impactful it is to them. So I'm extremely excited to um, have all of those. I'll be spending the entire month of October editing the blogs. And then in November, they'll each go out one by one in release date order. So we're extremely happy to see how that whole thing ends up turning out. If it's anything like the Hyrule um, the Hyrule See the Sights, Hear the Sounds blog that came out a couple of months ago, then it will be really exciting stuff. Yes, I'm definitely looking forward to that too. I think that's a unique collaboration, especially to focus on the personal aspects of uh, of what games mean to people. And of course, that's sort of a theme of your blog as well. So um, I wanted to ask, now I, I sort of share uh, work with my wife too, um, in, in, as far as creative things. So I wanted to ask what's, what's sort of the breakdown for you and, and your wife? What does she have like a thing that she handles on the blog and you handle this thing or what's your guys' talents in that respect? So I would call Nikki my primary support system when it comes to my blog, though I tend to write a lot more content for instance, right now I'm doing a challenge where I'm writing a day by day sort of feature Um, She's always there to support me no matter what I do. Uh, She's also a really good editor, so Mm. she's always taking a look at my other blogs. But she really does have a strength in writing. Though her posts seem to be more few and far between than mine, she is so good at talking about life experiences and how they can get you down, the impacts that mental illness can have on life, and just being able to inspire people to go on no matter what's happening. Mm -hmm. I really think that the differences in our writing styles are great. She's got her strengths, and I've got my strengths, and combined together, I feel like it creates a more well-rounded blog that people enjoy reading. Well, that's great, and that's that's what marriage is supposed to be like, right? You know, they... (laughs) Your partner fills in sort of your gaps and, and you fill in theirs. And, and yeah, that's, I think so. yeah, that's a beautiful thing. Um, One of the cool things is I think that uh, once she finishes up, she's actually finishing up her last semester of grad school right now. So she's working on a thesis pretty hard. So we're actually uh, planning on doing a lot more like audio stuff together after she gets done with that. So it'll be interesting to see kind of if her role with normal happenings expands a lot more once she has the the thesis part of it off of her plate she seems really excited about the potential future there well that's very cool too and speaking of the future yeah. uh you recently an- announced and and launched a uh patreon account as yes, well it. right so uh maybe if you want to tell us a little bit about what are your goals there um what's sort of the vision for that and and what what is it that you're creating uh, and using uh, the, that platform to create? Sure. My Patreon for now was kind of out of necessity because I really wanted to um, 
be able to make the best designed the games that define us collaboration possible. And so what I wanted to do was upgrade normal happenings from a WordPress premium account to a WordPress business account. What that will enable me to do is be able to integrate more uh, HTML and CSS, uh, more plugins, more designs, the things that really uh, stop you from being like hamstrung by the um, by the limitations of the WordPress premium platform, because I don't know, I don't know which one that you use. I know that you use WordPress, but if you use a premium one, you'll see that you can't do things like integrating scripts into each post. Um, it's very challenging to control the initial design for them. Yeah. Um, and you're really like, you're really forced into a box of having like a few different things. Problem is, you know, a WordPress business account is about, you know, twice as expensive as the other ones. So it's a good way of like getting bloggers to kind of help advance the quality of the collaborations Mm -hmm. going forward. Yeah. Um, after that, uh, I think the next year is Nikki and I really want to start a podcast together. Uh, I guess an impromptu code name I can go ahead and say is we want to call it Normal Talks. Hey, so. you've heard it here, folks, for the first time ever, revealed Normal Talks. That's great. Right. I mean, it makes sense because yeah. if the blog is about appreciating everyday life and it's called Normal Happenings, it makes sense that something relatively mundane like the title Normal Talks seems to fit well with the with the blog, with the potential podcast description. Yeah. So um we're working towards kind of getting the financial backing towards that. And then going forward, uh, I also would like to see normal happenings move into uh, video content because I do work with After Effects and Adobe Premiere pretty much every day. Um, I have no doubt that I'll be able to edit and develop uh, quality YouTube videos similar to how um, a lot of the really good creative content producers on YouTube uh, does, including your channel, by the way. Uh, um, I'm an amateur, <laughs> sir. Thank you very much. <laughs> I know, I know, but I'm a proud subscriber and I do love your stuff. So some of those, some of those views that you see on the the page, those are, are mine. So. Uh, I thought that was, I thought that was the one view from my mom. But thank you very much. No. <laughs> Um, so actually, um, YouTube is my preferred way to listen to your podcast. I love the super NES style, um, the well-read mage presents. Oh, the bling! sort of. I ripped intro. that off. Actually, I ripped that off from. Really? Yeah, the Super Nintendo. Yeah. Well, <laughs> <laughs> just like, like on Super Mario World and A Leak to the Past, uh, along with a lot of others. It, it exactly. Has that on there. And I'm like, hey, I get that. <laughs> I understand <laughs> that reference. Something so inspired that I wish I would have thought of it first. <laughs> Well, so, technically, I didn't. I, you know, just ripped it off. So you thought of it first for like introducing your podcast. So you've got a killer introduction. Uh, I appreciate that. Well, it's funny that you would bring up the Super Nintendo, though. Again, considering our subject matter today. Um, so today, ladies and gentlemen, uh, this episode is entitled "What Nintendo Didn't." We are going to get into some of the 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 history. Uh, the warfare, the appeal, and the iconic status of Sonic the Hedgehog, beginning here with his first game, which I was just told off the cuff was re- was uh, released in June 23rd, 1991 by Matthew here. He actually knows the date right off the top of his head. Now that you said that's because like, of your dad's birthday, right? 
Right. Uh, so my dad's birthday is June the 23rd. 1991? No. Oh, okay. Uh, his wasn't 1991. Ooh, just check it. <laughs> <laughs> that would be, that would make me about, I don't know, two. Yeah, right. <laughs> no, uh, his was uh, a lot earlier than 1991, okay. but my birthday is actually in 1991. Uh-huh. And so his uh, numerical like date birthday plus the year that I was born and so it's pretty easy for me to remember Sonic's uh, birthday, at least the North American release. Okay. I know that uh, I think in Japan it came out a little bit earlier. Yeah, most likely. That's mm-hmm. how it was back then, right? Um, so I'm wondering if you could give us sort of for, for somebody out there listening, some individual down by the rivers of Mississippi who's never heard of Sonic the Hedgehog. How would you describe Sonic the Hedgehog 1 in a nutshell – in like a sentence or two. Okay. I would describe Sonic the Hedgehog one differently than I would describe the rest of the Sonic. Oh, games. So. and we'll get into that. <laughs> we'll break that down. Yes. Um, Sonic one is a puzzle platformer game, which has occasional bouts of speed. Hmm. I like that <laughs> description. So it's with Sonic the Hedgehog. Now you and I have had, pretty different um experiences with this character so i'm wondering if if we could take a a few minutes to share sort of our personal experiences our personal history with this character um when we first encountered him uh, when we first played sonic one uh and so on if you want to go first sir since you're the guest Sure. Um, so I have a very personal story when it comes to my introduction to classic Sonic. Um, as I mentioned, uh, I was born in 1991. Sonic 1 came out a few months uh, ahead of me. So I basically grew up with Sonic 1. Um, so I, uh, my family had a Sega Genesis. Uh, they had a copy of Sonic 1, which, uh, interesting story. As a kid, it kind of shows your mindset of things especially if you're like five or six years old, you see the Sonic cartridge. And I don't know if you have like an envision of the envisioning of like the North American Sonic cartridge in your mind, but it basically has a picture of Sonic. It says Sonic the Hedgehog. And then in big red letters, it says not for resale. Hmm. And so in my brain as a kid, I always uh, thought that the subtitle for Sonic was not for reason was not for reason. And and maybe that was prophetic to an extent, huh? Right. Without like, um, without like the internet and stuff, you look at it and you're like, okay, what does that mean? (laughs) And your kid, right. You're like, all right, what kind of thing does not for resale mean? And then you're like, Oh wait, it's just saying don't resell the game. (laughs) (laughs) Um, so I grew up playing Sonic, basically with my grandparents. I stayed with um, my grandmother um, after school, basically every day until, I don't know, it was like 11 or 12 or something like that. So I eventually got really good at Sonic 1 and Sonic and Knuckles. And then I eventually was gifted Sonic 2. Interestingly, Sonic 3 didn't come along until later, but now Sonic 3 and Knuckles, the combined experience, is my favorite Sonic game. Mm. But with Sonic 1, uh, basically she would, uh, you know, sit there and I'd like sit on the floor and just end up playing Sonic. She would like fall asleep to the music. She, uh, even to this day, um, loves like the music. So occasionally I will like, 
whenever I'm like visiting, I mean, I live 600 miles away now, but whenever I'm visiting, I'll actually go uh, break out in this case, not an original Sega Genesis, though it was at that time, uh, and play uh, the Sonic games so she can kind of fall asleep to the music. <clears throat> so, um, yeah, basically the original classic Sonic games were the games that I grew up playing getting into video games. I did have others like Kirby's Adventure, which I uh, read a blog about. It was one of the earlier blogs that I wrote. And, and that, was, that was the first blog post of yours I'd ever read. And I, I, I remember that. Yeah, you're like, I know. <laughs> no, no, I just, I remember you commenting on it. You yeah. You made a really nice comment. Oh, so, yeah. yeah. You deserved like, it. This, it was a good. Who's this well read mage person? Yeah. And then ended up being, I just uh, swooped really in cool from this. Now we're doing a podcast. Swooped in from the shadows on you. So right. growing up, uh, so you had a, you had an NES and you also had a Sega Genesis. That's right. Okay. So you, uh, you, we're sort of straddling the console wars then. Did you ever get into some of that in the schoolyard arguing with friends or anything like that? I didn't really know about it. Uh, surprisingly, in relatively rural Alabama, which is where I went to school, there wasn't a whole lot of video game talk. And when there was, this was like up to the point of like having a PS1. And so I think there was a lot of like Final Fantasy hype at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, I know a lot of people loved Crash Bandicoot. Yeah. But before that, um, I was kind of introverted as a kid. So they were a lot playing the original Sonic games and a lot of the original NES games like Curry's Adventure, like The Legend of Zelda, Super Mario Brothers. Um, Dr. Mario, those kind of things, mm-hmm. they were all um, more personal experiences to me. So really it was the, it was me kind of getting on the internet that discovered that, Hey, there was this really big console war um, going on. Cause again, I mean, I would have been in 1996, I would have been like five. Oh, okay. So right. the console war would have been, dwindling if yeah. not over by about that point yeah so i would have been going to school during the ps1 era right yeah i think that um by that time you know sega was already they they were coming down from the height of their their aggression yeah. um, i will say that sonic adventure the original 3d game was big for like two seconds right uh, well even <laughs> i remember i never played it um but even i remember hearing about that one uh, yeah. I was big to do. Which Sonic games have you played? Have you played all of them? I played most all of them, yes. Okay. I'm most familiar with the classic ones, um, and consequently, I absolutely adore Sonic Mania. Okay. Um, but there are some 3D games. I played basically all the 3D games, the adventure ones, especially like the DX releases. Um, the two big 3D Sonic games that I really enjoy are Sonic Colors and Sonic Generations. Okay. Those two, I feel, get... Uh, 3D Sonic as close to right as possible. Okay. All right. So uh, my story is almost exactly the opposite. Of yours. <laughs> so uh, growing up, I was already, well, so I was born in 85. So um, when the Super Nintendo came out, I was six in, in North America, 91, right? Um, and so I remember, you know, walking into a Sears and seeing, Super Mario World for the first time and losing track of my mom because I got stuck at the demo just playing this thing. Uh, And I also remember Sonic the Hedgehog gaining massive popularity at the time. I remember having arguments with kids about who was cooler and who was better, 
Sonic or Mario. And I was very much at, you know, six, seven, eight, nine years old, very much a fanboy of Nintendo products. Um, I never owned a Sega Genesis until last year um, that I got from a friend. Um, I uh, had played a couple Sega games at friends' houses. Uh, I had a, a Game Gear at one point. Um, and my mom, I think, resold it because the thing ate all the batteries in our house. Um, I uh, I did play Streets of Rage as a kid, and I liked that a lot. And I still do. That is a really great game. Probably my maybe my favorite Sega Genesis game. I don't know. Um, and yeah, never played a Sonic game until last year uh, when I played Sonic the Hedgehog 1 for the very first time. Um, obviously knew about it by reputation, had already known what Green Hill Zone was, who the characters were, and so on. Um, but I played it for the first time last year, and it's the only one I've I've played. Now I'm I'm looking forward to playing Sonic the Hedgehog 2 and um familiarizing myself with that. I've I've been told that it's a better game than the first game. Um It is. Okay. So I'll <laughs> take that as a and as an additional recommendation. Um and we'll talk about some of the differences to in a minute here. Um, but, uh, yeah, my side on the console wars for a long time was, uh, was the Nintendo side. Um, and it's, uh, it's hard for me to blame you for that because in many ways that's the correct side to be on. The correct correct side to talk about like sheer, um, volume of quality games right especially if we're talking the 90s i mean the nine yeah the super nintendo are you kidding me um but uh yeah the the late 80s early 90s stuff sega had one thing going for it and that's basically sonic and it put all of its eggs into that basket okay so and that is coming from a person who played it back in the day um i i purposed in this episode to be as unfanboyish as possible um and just sort of uh talk to you about it and and consider history and consider the where this character has gone um but you know we all have our biases so i'll do my best that's all i can promise um so speaking of best then what what what's the best sonic game in your estimation um, I would say Sonic 3 and Knuckles, hands down. And the reason I phrase it like that is because it's actually two release games. Um, you've heard of lock-on technology. Well, that was basically putting the Sonic 3 cartridge inside the Sonic and Knuckles cartridge. And then you get basically the whole game with um, all the with Sonic, Tails, Knuckles, um, or you could play a Sonic and Tails and add a save system. Um, it ended up being a massive game because each of the 12 zones in the game uh, ended up being extremely lengthy. And most importantly, it balanced out um, the puzzle platformer elements of the first game with mm-hmm. the speed elements of the second game. Okay. Um, combine that with the presentation value, which is just phenomenal, and it is um, the quintessential classic Sonic game. Okay. That said, Sonic Mania was just released. That's about what I was going to ask you next yeah. was Sonic Mania. <laughs> to... Uh, to say that Sonic Mania is 
not a better game than Sonic 3 and Knuckles would be disingenuous. It really is. It really took the spirit of those first games and optimized it. And I can't wait to see what Christian Whitehead and the team will be able to do with like a proper sequel that doesn't rely so much on recycled zones. Hmm. That's interesting. I've yet to play that myself, but it's one that, uh, that I've wanted to get into. You now, might should start oh, yeah. with that game. Uh, if you're really wanting to get into classic Sonic, because it's got classic Sonic type of gameplay with all of the design elements that go into modern gaming. The things that we've learned over the past 20 years have really been poured into that game. Do you think it- that I could more appreciate the, the improvements made to the Sonic formula? Um, if I were to play uh, two and three before Mania, or do you recommend me playing Mania and then going back to those? I think that I would actually recommend playing Mania and then going back to those, because although Mania has a ton of improvements, um, it still allows 2 and 3 and Knuckles to both like stand on their own. I don't feel like that by playing Mania, you're going to be losing out on the quality that you find, especially, you know, knowing you, you, you tend to be able to put yourself into the perspective of the time period itself. And I think that by doing so, you'll be able to still appreciate how good two and three and knuckles are. Okay. All right. Well, that's fair. That I will. I should do that. Um, yes. Sonic Mania looks brilliant. I I remember when the the first trailer came out and it had that animated sequence. I was just mm-hmm. like, this looks like a lot of fun. And the um, music in Sonic Mania is just amazing. I've heard uh, it. Yeah, some... T-, T Lopes does just a phenomenal job of capturing the spirit. Yes, of classic Sonic. Yes, some of the uh, some of the music I've listened to, and it sounds it looks beautiful. It sounds beautiful. It looks like a game I'd really enjoy playing. Um, but the future of Sonic is perhaps a subject for another episode. Um, and we need to get you back on at a future time and, and get talking on that future, but let's go back to the past. Okay. So we're, we want to talk for a minute about the, the development of Mm -hmm. the original Sonic. Now it is a, a storied development. Um, so we're not going to be able to get into all of it. Uh, it's fascinating, though. Um, I did a little bit of research on it when I tried to critique the first game um, and found that Sega's famous slash infamous aggression went pretty deep, um, hilariously so, to an extent. I think it's endearing now. Um, I remember back then I was just like, okay, are you allowed to do that? You know, some of the things they did. But um, now it's... It's something, it's yet another fascinating aspect of retro gaming history. So, one of my favorite things, maybe we, that'll be a great way to start this. One of my favorite things about Sonic's development history is that it was apparently called Project Defeat Mario as a code name. So, Sonic was invented as this character who was supposed to take market share away from Nintendo. And defeat Mario, literally take down the the rival. Um, so Sonic was sort of created with that in mind. Mario is this you know chunky, cheery character, and so you have who's you know red and whatnot, and then you've got uh, Sonic, who's you know emblazoned with this beautiful cobalt blue 
Um, and he looks much slicker. He looks much more stylish. And of course, he's got that famous attitude, the, the finger wagging. What's uh, what's interesting is Sega's mascot before Sonic was oh. uh, Alex Kidd. Alex uh, Kidd, I, right? I've actually played uh, Alex Kidd in the Enchanted Castle, which I believe came out in like 1990 or something like that. It basically plays like a worse version of Mario, and so you look at Alex Kidd and you're like, well, this guy basically is Mario, except not doing quite as well. Yeah, there's. <laughs> When I found that out, too, I was like, there's literally nothing interesting about Alex Kidd. He has a normal name, Alex, and he's a kid. That's it. And I was like, a kid named Alex? That's it? That's what you got? So I think it was a smart move, definitely by Sega, Oh yeah. to, um, you know, make as the flagship title of their Sega Genesis, not Altered Beast, not Alex Kidd, but Sonic the Hedgehog. Uh I think he was a, a very cool character, and that was hard to argue against back in the day, you yeah. know. Um, so, what about uh, differences then between Sonic and Super Mario? I sort of touched on the aesthetic differences, the visual differences, but what about between their games? If you were to compare, uh, well, I guess it would be Super Mario World then was right. the nearest rival, and Sonic the Hedgehog one. What are your thoughts on on contrasting those? Yeah, I think that Sonic 1 plays a little bit more like a Mario game than the rest of the series. So I think the most that you can say about them is they're both side-scrolling platformers, which goal is to get to the end of the stage. Um, Sonic 1 really hit a good um, a good pace with Green Hill Zone, the first zone in the original game. Um, that proved to be suitably different from Super uh, Super Mario World, but in the other stages, uh, particularly Marble and Labyrinth Zone, it kind of reverted back to, okay, let's push some blocks, let's try to get the power-ups, let's go slowly and methodically like through through the levels. Um, it, w- it wouldn't be until later where Sonic really understood that the reward like is speed itself. Mm-hmm. Um, and in that case, that's what really sets it apart from um, a game like Super Mario World. Yeah, and I am completely with you on that in regards to this first game. That was mm-hmm. probably the biggest shock that I had in playing it for the first time as an adult. Um, because... Everybody associates Sonic the Hedgehog with speed. That was what he was marketed on. He was promoted as a fast character. He looks fast. Everything about him, you know, has got to go fast, his motto and all that. Um, I did see the cartoon Sonic the Hedgehog back in the day. Oh, really? Um, Yeah. So I remember that jangle that, uh, you know, was it Sonic the Hedgehog? You can't catch what you can't see. Something like that. Uh, clever dialogue, but uh, but it conveyed that the character was fast. So I was surprised after getting through the Green Hill Zone to get into uh, – oh, well, let's talk zones here since that's sort of a natural evolution of the conversation. Um, okay. After Green Hill Zone, you had Marble Zone? You did have Marble Zone, okay. yeah. Um, actually, actually, though, I do want to talk about Green Hill Zone. Yes, uh, well, for... that's, let's do that first because that's brilliant. Because Green Hill okay. Zone is is brilliant. It's good level design. It's it great. Is. <laughs> it is. Um, one of the interesting things is um, you always hear about developers who have 
their inspirations for things like Shigeru Miyamoto's inspiration for creating the legend of Zelda was like, you know, caves behind his house and, and everything with uh, Yuji Naka creating Sonic. He said that um, he tried to like get through the original super Mario brothers on the NES as fast as possible, like through world one, one to get to like the, world one two so he could like get to the end of the game with like the warp pipes and stuff so um yuji naka says that his inspiration was to make green hill zone the first level of the game as fun as possible and in that way he succeeded because the difficulty escalation is there the emphasis on speed is there and um it yeah it is uh it's great level design for getting um, new players who aren't used to this type of strategy into a game that does emphasize speed. If only the other zones, and some of them do, and we'll get into that, but if only the other zones like continued to capitalize on the expectation that was built up with the Green Hill Zone, then I feel like the game would be, I guess, better remembered than it is now. Yeah, I agree. Um I think that when you play Green Hill Zone and you you know you know the character is supposed to be fast, there's few things as exhilarating in that era as going as fast as Sonic could go, um, mm-hmm. and you hit a loop de loop and you're like, wow, that is extremely impressive. That's that that to me was the most impressive thing about Sonic the Hedgehog one, even back then and still last year was I agree. how and- fast it goes. Yeah, and I mean, if you look at the graphics and everything too, um, compared to a game like Super Mario World, you've got you know vibrant, you've got you know this moving background, you've got parallax scrolling, you've got the bright colors, but they aren't to the point to where they're like too gaudy and like you're just you're blasting through all of that, and it is it's that type of uh, exhilaration that you really wouldn't get anywhere else in the game. Yeah. Now, you mentioned uh, inspiration uh, Mm -hmm. and influences for characters. This was something that I found when I I did some research on Sonic. I thought it was hilarious. So to come up with the Sonic character and his look, uh, the developers took the head of Felix the Cat, the (laughs) body of Mickey Mouse, the mechanics of Super Mario, the boots of Michael Jackson, the boot colors of Santa Claus... The screw attack jump from San- Samus, and, and the get it done attitude of former President Bill Clinton. Yeah. <laughs> I had to laugh <laughs> extremely hard. I mean, this is such a product of the '90s. I know. <laughs> and he, you know, he was supposed to have even um, a girl, a rock star girlfriend named Madonna at one point in the concept. Uh, it didn't pan out, obviously, because that would be. I'm sort of made uncomfortable by the more human Sonic gets. And yeah. I think that him having a human girlfriend would have just been really weird. So, so instead they do it in 2006. Yeah. <laughs> no, um, that infamous uh, 2006 Sonic game. You see, um, now I don't know which one you're referring to. Yeah, well. Yeah. <laughs> there's a, there's so, a lot of memes about how bad that particular Sonic game is. So which is, one are you uh, referring to? It's just called Sonic the Hedgehog. Um, oh, but it's, it comes out in 2006. Yeah, okay. it was supposed to be a, a reboot of it, and Sonic does have a human girlfriend in that one. Uh, is she named Madonna? No, she's not. Okay, well, that's that at least was one good good thing they decided <laughs> to do in that game. Um, so let's let's step through the zones then, if if we could. So the next one was Marble Zone. 
Um, right. That was one where I like, why can't I go as fast as it could in Green Hill Zone? Yeah, one of the uh, one of the interesting things um, I've seen is a lot of times in modern gaming you've got a consistent incline as like a difficulty curve. Um, like even recently I've been playing uh, Donkey Kong Country Tropical Freeze, which uh, I missed on the Wii U, but now I've got it on the Switch. It does just a glorious job of having just a straight line difficulty curve. I mean, it's all hard, but it gets progressively more difficult as you get through the zones. It's not so in Sonic the Hedgehog, which in my mind has two difficulty curves to it. Um, it's got basically an alternate level sort of difficulty curve. So like zones one, three, and five have their own difficulty curve and two, four, and six have their own. And the two, four, and six are definitely the slowed down uh, puzzle platformer hard ones. So it is. It was a big jump um, going from Green Hill Zone to, oh my goodness, everything can crush me and there's so much waiting. And in Marble Zone, you know, you've got the puzzle solving. I love the aesthetics of Marble Zone, but I would not blame anyone. And so many people quit playing Sonic with Marble Zone. Yeah. I don't blame them at all. And that's not <laughs> even that far in the game. One of the things right. that frustrated me was because the camera moves so quickly because Sonic mm-hmm. does um when you even want when you look up or look down and you want the the camera to pan it does so but it does so so quickly it's easy to miss hazards so yes. there are spikes that you know shoot out from the wall and unless you knew they were there already sometimes mm-hmm. you're you're either going too fast or the camera's panning too fast as you're just moving at a at a decent pace uh to where you can't see them so one of let's be honest sonic one after green hill zone is about memorization of the levels yeah and it has exactly to yeah and that was <laughs> I mean, that there's... was a feature of of games back then to be fair but mm-hmm. i think that what we're talking about answers a question that we got from jake stewart at Darkrast on twitter who asked uh what's your take on the game's momentum it's fast and slow and a bit inconsistent does that take away from the experience in my opinion yes Um, I think that, you know, like you just said, I think a lot of people, um, you couldn't blame them for stopping after or when they reach marble zone. Um, I didn't because I purposed to beat it so I could critique it. But if I was playing it just for the heck of it, um, especially as a kid, I probably wouldn't have made it past that part. Uh, yeah, I wouldn't blame you one bit. Uh, for me, as a kid, I was kind of determined, so I just played it and played it and played it. I remember there were two there were two zones I couldn't get past: mar- past Marble Zone and Labyrinth Zone. Freaking mad uh, which, Labyrinth Zone. Yeah, we'll get, <laughs> we'll, we'll get to both of those in a second. So we'll, um, we'll, you're, oh, you're, go ahead. yeah, you were talking about like the physics of it. Um, I think that Sonic One's physics are glorious in Green Hill Zone. Yes, but. You have to design a game around the physics that you've created. Yes. They didn't do that. Not no, with yeah. Marvel Zone. Yeah. So, I, yeah, I guess, again, you know, you design a character to be so fast, it has that delicious way that he could hug the, the incline of, of a hill uh, when he's going really fast. There's no loop de loops in Marble Zone, if memory serves correct. Um, and there definitely isn't. Yeah. And there's no, there's no capacity to hit. Uh, high speed for a, an extended period of time. I'm sure if you're a speed runner, you could probably do it. Maybe no, but uh, go still... watch a go watch a speed run of Marble Zone. 
it plays just like any other zone. There's so much waiting going on. I mean, you can they can try and glitch out the game uh-huh. in a few places, like do the uh, the horizontal screen wraps uh-huh. sometimes. But a lot of times it's just, you know, sitting there, oh, look, there's a caterpillar enemy. Let's just wait for it and then try to spin into it because they haven't had, like, the spin dash yet. Or the so. floating uh, the floating um, <laughs> platforms, right, that hovered over the right. lava that you have to just stand on and, and wait. There's no way to get past that, right? Yeah. Uh, the level's at least 60% waiting. Yeah. And, wow. you know. Hmm. And that's how they came out with that iconic animation of him with his hands on his hips tapping his toe, right? I do have, yeah, I, I think it does, and you get to see it a lot. Yeah. Um, I do kind of have a theory as to why they put it there, hmm. um, and that is because this game is a product of its time, and they wanted to make sure that the game had enough like playtime going through it, so they wanted to give people a really challenging level, because I do feel like that the level progression does go 1, 3, 5, 2, 4, 6 would be the proper way, and even contextually in the story, it seems like that it should be that particular way. So you'd mm. have like you'd have like Green Hill Zone, then Spring Yard, then Starlight, and then you'd have Marble, Labyrinth, and Scrap Brain. Okay. But you know, I mean I don't know that. I'm not in the brains of the developers who were making Sonic One who chose that particular zone order. Right. So what is the next one after Marble? Uh Spring Yard Zone. Spring which, Yard. Yeah, which is one of my favorite levels. My uh, my actual I don't know if you want me to like say. Yeah, go ahead. Level. Go ahead. Okay, my, my favorite level is Starlight Zone. Oh, um, that's my favorite level too. Oh well, thank yeah, you. I love the music, and that level's got tons of loop de loops and inclines and curves mm-hmm. and so on. I do feel like it strikes a good balance. There are a few uh, sections where you slow down, you hold your breath, um, and you're able to like solve a small puzzle like with the springs and stuff but for the most part it's about speed plus the music is amazing yes and the atmosphere of the level with its like kind of cityscape sort of thing it's just uh it was really pretty to see even uh when i went back and replayed it uh this week oh nice yeah no i uh it's got um probably my favorite song i really love green hill zone uh and this answers a question by uh playjack at playjack sayback uh who asked what's your favorite song from the first sonic game he asked a lot of questions but that was my favorite of his questions my favorite song is probably that it's 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 so chill it's like a it's like a beach party chill you know like you're just like relaxing and it's it gets you into the thing without feeling stressed out. Um, but so your favorite song, my favorite song is Starlight Zone, but it's quickly followed by Spring Yard Zone. Okay. I love the the like the the popping instruments in Spring Yard Zone. It's got a really cool like bass line and stuff. But no, I, I like the same song that you did for All pretty right. much the same reason. Nice. <laughs> so uh, so Spring Yard Zone, and that's got you know like the the um, what is it the pinball um yeah balls and or whatever they're called. bumpers pin, pinball yes. bumpers it was really a proto casino type level but it didn't really look like a casino level so it ended up it ended up being like just a uh weird hodgepodge of like abstract sort of art yeah set outside it's color choice is strange but i like it in a 1991 sega genesis game for some reason yeah that that salmon background and yeah. well yeah it's it's weird 
It's uh, it is endearing though. I think most certainly much more endearing than Marble Zone, in my yes. opinion. <laughs> um, so Spring Yard still had a few issues. Um, the moving blocks that could crush you because of the weird hitbox, the weird crush hitbox of Sonic, mm. uh, those were extremely frustrating to wait on. But for the most part, the level had. I don't think it had any like specific loop de loops. But it did have a lot of inclines that you had to use Sonic's physics to work your way out of. And in this case, I feel like that not having a spin dash actually helped Spring Yard Zone be a better zone because of that. Okay, so a couple of things here. You mentioned mentioned the inclines. I remember a lot of sort of half-pipe kind of things in in uh in spring yard which i think were great uh the other thing was you just mentioned spin dash um for maybe the second or third time so i don't know what you're talking about because i've only played this first sonic game (laughs) oh wow okay yeah so maybe i mean i've heard of it before and i i I know it's an attack thing Mm. um okay well let me let me ask this um did you ever feel like there were moments in sonic one where you wish that you could like start up your speed a little bit quicker instead of having to like run around and roll into a ball and try and get up to a fast enough speed to where you could like make it over a slope or an incline yeah because his his walking speed is atrocious uh yeah his top speed is great but getting there (laughs) takes a while so, spoiler alert for every other Sonic game in the series, except for, like, the 3D ones. Um, they introduce a mechanic, and they also introduce it into the uh, mobile version, but we'll get into that later. They introduce a mechanic where you press down, and then you press the jump button, and then, depending on how fast you rev it up, you can achieve about 50 or 60% of your top speed um, before, like, launching. And so... Uh, it's one of those things where if you're at like the very bottom of a half pipe, instead of having to jump around and walk and try and get your speed up, you can just go ahead and continue with the action and just go ahead, go ahead and have an instant boost of speed. Mm, okay. <laughs> that does seem like a valuable implementation. It, it does. And it's well handled in the classic games too. Okay. So when you go back to play Sonic one, after you played mania or after you played two or three of knuckles, depending on which path you want to go to, you're going to go back in Sonic one, you're going to duck, you're going to press the jump button. And then he's just going to pop up in a jump and you're going to be like, what in the world? Mm. All <laughs> um, right. Well, I don't know that I'll go back to a Sonic one. <laughs> let's say, let's I wouldn't blame me if you didn't. <laughs> I'll play green hill zone uh, and use game genie to skip to starlight. But uh, so after where were we at um, the spring yard after spring yard? What do we got? I don't want to say. Oh, is it labyrinth zone? It is. Labyrinth oh, that's zone. my favorite. I am so sorry. <laughs> so I for for years, um, I'd heard a lot of complaints against water levels, and I didn't really understand that complaint. Um, I like water levels. But then I played Sonic the Hedgehog 1, and now I know why people dislike water levels. Yes. Yeah. So it's sort of like we're we're talking. Between that and the Water Temple from Ocarina of Time, people have pretty much established a hatred towards water levels. But it's like you play, you know, the water stages on Super Mario Brothers, and you're like, this is delightful. And you get to frolic and and all this underwater. But uh, we're talking about a character that was promised to be fast. And then you get to Labyrinth Zone, and it's like, you know, swamped in molasses. Yeah, let's be honest. It runs at, it, uh, runs at like 10 frames per second. Yeah, it is. And then, 
And then there's lag, and that makes it run, like the game run at like 10 frames per second. So you have an extremely slow Sonic. Yeah. <laughs> and I needed it at, at that last part in that zone where you're sort of trying to chase um, Dr. Robotnik, Eggman. I, which one do you prefer? Of the names, uh, I prefer Robotnik. Robotnik, but okay. it really doesn't bother me either way. Okay, uh, I always thought Eggman was weird, so I well, that's the original name, right, or something like that. And Robotnik actually, was the the name they used in America. Yeah, so I think the Japanese uh, form was Eggman, and then in America they used Robotnik, and then they made it consistent when you got to the 3D games. Okay, but it wasn't the first 3D game. It was like once you got into like the third or fourth 3d game i think it became eggman okay i think it was with sonic heroes i'm not sure okay well that's that's something that our listeners will just have to hash out but um so yeah the labyrinth zone i i I don't think we need to hang out too much on the labyrinth zone (laughs) i think that people who've played this game know the labyrinth zone it's yeah it's just there was there were nice moments like when you're sliding down uh, some of the the waterfall slopes and you're like, well, this is fast, and then you get underwater and you're like, this is not fast at all. No, it's not. Yeah, I do like the music. The music was uh, okay, but once you listen to it because you've died and had to restart the game a hundred times, even that gets old. Yeah, <laughs> and then they had the drowning mechanic too, which made you feel even more tense underwater. Yeah. Yeah. So funny, funny story with that. Um, when I was a kid playing the game, I didn't understand the air bubble things cause I didn't have a manual for it. And, uh, I guess I just didn't consider the internet to be a, a good resource back then. I'm not sure. I mean, I know it existed, but oh well. Um, so I always tried to get through all the water sections, unknowing that there was a possibility of getting an air bubble to restore the breathing. And so I think I inadvertently became one of like a really, really good speedrunner of labyrinth zone ah, for the ah. first, for the first act. Cause I could never get past the, like, the second or third. So but there's basically, there, yeah. yeah, there's two underwater sections. Um, so the first one you were able to get through, with, you know, a little bit of sweaty palms, you were able to get through it without much problems. Once you got really good at the game, the second one, I spent like a year trying to get through the second underwater section of Labyrinth Zone, and I eventually was able to do it just barely with like half of a half of a second left. Wow. Um, and complete the first act without actually getting an air bubble. Wow. Um, so it is like, possible. It is somehow possible. Mm-hmm. I can't do it now. No, I, I yeah. Yeah, well, as you get older, yeah, you kind of get more worse at video games, right? Um, it kind of reminds me of, uh, I'm sure you've played Earthworm Jim on the Super Nintendo, one of my favorite Super Nintendo games. Um, there's the uh, tube race level um, after uh, Down the Tubes, and it's, you know, you're in a water stage, but you're riding a submersible made of glass, so like the worst thing ever, through like a rocky chasm an underground tunnel. And unless you know that there's that secret uh, extra um, oxygen uh, deposit, then you got to try and rush through the whole stage. And I could never do it, but I never knew that thing was there when I first played it. So I I imagine that's the most analogous experience that I had to your rushing through Labyrinth Zone. But speaking of rushing through Labyrinth Zone, what's the next zone? 
Um, it's Starlight. Ah, uh, and that's the that's a great one. We already sort it's, of talked about that a little bit. So, what's after Starlight? It's the final zone, uh, Scrap Brain zone. Mm-hmm. Now, I know a lot of people hate this zone. I do. I don't. Okay. Well, yeah. Well, and this <laughs> is great because this is the one v one talk now. So, go ahead, tell us why you like it. I'll say why I, I hate it after that. Well, in a perfect world, Scrap Brain Zone would exist to be kind of a combination of all the skills that you've learned so far. Um, there's a lot of enemies in Scrap Brain Zone. It's very long. Um, particularly for the first two acts, there's a lot of traps that can like get to you. But it's slow enough, but it's not like grinding to a halt slow, but it is slow enough to where um, I do feel like it's fair um, to play through, if not kind of frustrating, because you, you do have a lot of like things flying at you at different stages. You've got traps trying to like send you to your death. But um, if the game had built up a proper difficulty escalation curve, I don't feel like that Scrap Brain would be as hated as it as it is. Yeah, well, I, I think I could agree with that. And um, when I first played that that zone, um. I remember thinking this is just cheap because it starts off with the, tr- the sort of the trap doors that fall open. So I was like, okay, well I got to run across that to get over, you know? Um, so I did. And then there's a gout of flame that forms a, a firewall right on yeah. the other side. And so I ran smack dab into that. And I was like, that's unfair because they tempted me at, on the basis of the promotional uh, the promotion of the character and then on the basis of a trap door they tempted me to run across it and i ran straight into a firewall that i couldn't see because i didn't know it was there and the the camera moved so fast so i thought that it was, definitely had like a kaizo mario sort of feel to it yeah i was no i was upset about that but i did beat it finally through all those bizarre conveyor belt you know steps and uh, the electricity and the tubes where I was like, I don't know where I'm going, but hopefully it's toward the end of the level because yeah, I was just like, when is this over? <laughs> Cause that's such a hard, I found it extremely hard. It is the one level in Sonic one that I will say is better than its Sonic two counterpart, Ooh, which when you play Sonic, 2, like some of our fans, especially the Sonic fans will know exactly which level I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. But when you play Sonic two, then you'll get to a level pretty late in the game that will remind you a lot of Scrap Brain Zone. Okay. All right. That said, the if you don't know the shortcut to Scrap Brain Zone Act 3, then you're back in Labyrinth Zone, and the air bubbles don't spawn nearly as fast as they used to. So, uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Act 3 of Scrap Brain Zone is terrible. Yeah. I Honestly, I barely remember it. I remember fighting... Okay. Robotnik, but I don't remember the latter parts of Scrap Brain very well. Um, well, basically, uh, Robotnik uh, presses a lever and you fall right back into Labyrinth Zone again, which makes me think it should have been the second to last level. Right, right, exactly. That makes sense. Um, and then you have to do one full, very long act of Labyrinth Zone without um, with air bubbles that spawn at about half the rate that they used to. Yeah. That's no bueno. Um, but between these stages, you've got a chance to go to a special stage, right? Yes. Yeah. And the special stage, <laughs> I wonder if it gave anybody seizures because that special stage is intense. Uh, even seeing it as an adult last year, I was like, whoa, 
they definitely played with the the maxed uh limitations that the that the genesis could could crank out um mm-hmm. and some of those graphics are, are crazy but so so tell us about those special stages what are the points and what's the point of those stages how do you access them whatnot yeah, so you have to get 50 rings in a level, but for some reason you can only do it in the first five stages. You can't do it uh, in Scrap Brain Zone. Like the the gold ring at the end of the stage, which you jump into, if you get 50 rings in a stage, it will not spawn. It also won't spawn on Act 3. So basically you're given five zones, mm-hmm. the first five zones, and only the first two acts. That's only 10 chances to get into a special stage which, um, I mean, those, there's no other way of like respawning those if you fail the special stage. Mm-hmm. And so if there's six of them, plus, you know, those are very highly challenging, uh, special stages to begin with. So yeah, they're not, no, they're not well designed from a player convenience perspective. Yeah. Well, even knowing what to do as I, I didn't know that there were special stages. So I hit yes. a special stage and I was like, what's going on? And, uh, and trying to figure out what I need to do, obviously failed out of it immediately. Did a little bit of research before I continued the game. I was like, Oh, so I got to get this thing called a, a chaos emerald. Was it? That's right. Okay. And what, what even is a chaos emerald? Well, in this game, it's nothing. It's just a, it's, it's a, th- it's an item. That's it's, it. yeah, it's literally a bonus. Um, they do it. There's no reward except for, um, a good ending with slightly different flowers. Okay. And I think maybe Sonic jumps up into the screen a little bit differently. Oh. Um, if you don't get them all, then Robotnik juggles them at the end of the game and taunts you with them. Which is precisely um, the ending that I saw. Right. <laughs> there's only six, there's only six of them in this game. Uh, there's seven of them in all future Sonic games. Okay. Um, and there's an actual legitimately good reward, perhaps even one of the better rewards in video games um, in future series going forward. But in this one, you're thrown into a two-dimensional rotating Sonic stage with terrible controls and seizure-inducing graphics. And if you can't tell, I believe that they are the worst special stages of the series. Okay. So that <laughs> I like that. That answers um, a question we got from Gigi, a.k.a. Mm-hmm. at Hungry Goria, who asked, mm-hmm. I'd like to hear your thoughts on the special stages and how they stack up against the ones in the other games. So these ones, in your opinion, having played other games, are not the best. No, they're not. Okay. Um, I do, at least with Sonic 2s, you've got some amazing graphical power. It, it looks like a tech demo for the uh, for the Genesis. And so although that one relies on memorization, still not as frustrating as Sonic 1s, which, uh, you know, the music sounds like a lullaby and doesn't encapsulate Sonic speed at all. Mm. Um, and then, in my opinion, Sonic 3 and Knuckles have the best of the classic series uh, special stages. And Sonic CDs are pretty good too, uh, though a little bit frustrating. It kind of goes back to that whole uh, seizure-inducing sort of feeling. Mm -hmm. So thank you, Gigi, for uh, that question. And thanks for being a part of the collaboration too. Oh, yeah. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. Gigi's awesome. Um, So we talked a little bit about uh, Dr. Robotnik, a.k.a. Eggman. We talked a little bit about the Chaos Emeralds. We went through the zones. Does this thing have a story? Uh, was it in the manual? Did you have the manual when you owned this game? 
Um, no, but I looked it up later. Um, the manuals are in almost every one of the collections right. moving forward. Okay. And so I had the I had Sonic 1 on PS2 and PS3 and uh, Sonic's Ultimate Genesis collection. Actually, the PS3 version. Yeah, This yeah, one right here. That's, the one, that's what that's I played the one that on. I was playing to. Yeah, that's the one that I was playing to research. Too. And this is one of my favorite uh, collections as well. That's I think an it's, amazing collection. it's great. It has a ton of games. Uh, this is, again, it's Sonic's Ultimate Genesis Collection for the PS3. I got it used for, like, 10 bucks. Yeah, that's a cool it, collection. Yeah, and it's got it's uh, 40 classic titles. And then what I really like that a lot of collections don't do is it has unlockables like interviews and things like that. Um, so sometimes, like, I'll buy a collection and I'll be like, this is great, but what does it have that I haven't already seen? Because I've already played, you know, a lot of these games before. This one was cool because it had a lot of those uh, unlockables. So I know that you've got a Final Fantasy Tactics uh, video coming out. Uh, on that collection, you should play a game called Shining Force if you haven't already. Um, to me, that's a, one of the best tactical RPGs uh, on the Genesis so as well. Is it Shining Force the first one, or is there three of them, aren't it, right? There's there's two of them on there, okay. and then there's one that came before it called Shining in the Darkness. Um, okay. Shining in the Darkness is a quasi-3D dungeon crawler. Um, so I would definitely save that one for later. Okay. I would play uh, both Shining Force 1 and Shining Force 2 are great um, little RPGs. Okay. Um, so I would start with the first one. Um, they both have great uh, elements to them. Um, so they're a little bit different, but they're not that different. So once you play the first one, you should be pretty well acquainted with it to jump right into the second one. Okay. And uh, Fantasy Star was another series. I never got to play it as a kid. Always, you know, had it on my radar because I enjoyed RPGs back then um, when I had a lot of time. Uh, but... Uh, finding those on this ultimate Genesis collection. That was another thing that I want to get into someday. Um, yeah. Cause now I'm, you know, mired in Octopath Traveler oh, yeah. and yeah. And playing Spider-Man now. <laughs> and uh, yeah, there's a lot going on. There's a lot to play. Um, so with the story though, uh, one thing that immediately confused me uh, just in passing when I played this game last year was why do animals come out of the machines when you blow them up so uh robotnik basically takes the animals and puts them in the machine and then uses like their mental power and like traps them in there it's kind of like the borg on star trek but <laughs> way more cutesy that is a ridiculous explanation <laughs> i i was always assuming that you know he they were powering them on like gerbil wheels on the insides of the machines yeah. But to go a step further and say they were powered by their mental capabilities yeah. it's is pretty dark. <laughs> yeah, that's silly. That that is pretty dark, as you say. Uh, um, so once you once you like bust open the machine, they're suddenly and perfectly free to just bounce away without any sort of like, uh, you know, disorientation or anything. Like yeah, that. that's yeah, that is <laughs> strange. I always thought that the they're called flickies, um, and they actually there's a. Those are based off of an older Genesis game called Flicky, um, which is basically, uh, I think, you controlling an animal and you have to like capture a bunch of birds and stuff. Um, so those are called Flickies, and they 
I've always considered them like cute, I, I guess. Um, but it's, it's kind of satisfying to free them from their capsule. Yeah. Now that I know why they're there, I can imagine. Do they, do they do the same thing in, in later Sonic games when you destroy robot animals come out? Yeah, they do in all the classic Sonic games and in a couple of the 3d ones, but not many. Okay. And in Sonic mania as well. Okay. So that's good to know. So the next time I play a Sonic game, I'll look for freeing the little forest creatures. Um, Good. So to get into some final questions here, let's, Let's take just one step back to the the console wars one last time and ask how successful was Sonic in gaining market share for Sega? That's kind of a technical question um, that we'd have to look at numbers and stats for. So just more broadly, how successful do you think Sonic was in doing what he was supposed to do, defeat Mario, both then and... Obviously, here we are 30 years later, almost. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. Now, now it's a completely different story then. Um, so Sonic 1 took a lot of great steps towards uh, kind of cutting into that market share. But it wasn't until Sonic 2 came out and literally defined the fact that games come out on a Tuesday um, to where it was like really a big step towards eating into the Nintendo market share. So for that point in the early 90s, because of the efforts of Sonic and Sonic 2, it never completely overtook Nintendo, but it was uh, pretty close to it. Um, at least it was better than like it was ever expected because it made Sonic a household name mm-hmm. and it made it put Sega on the map even if they were never able to like defeat Mario which was very ambitious considering even then he was a cultural icon but you know come pretty close to establishing another player in the field yeah definitely and probably the first time that anybody ever put a measurable sizable not even a dent but a chasm in uh in what Nintendo was controlling at the time, uh, especially to create something that people were interested in and talking about that wasn't Nintendo at the time. Uh, yeah, I did think that the Tuesday Sonic Tuesday thing was very mm-hmm. interesting. Saw that in a documentary, um, this past week as I was looking over some materials and, um, yeah, games are released on a Tuesday. Uh, and they, correct me if I'm wrong, launched Sonic uh, across the world simultaneously, right? Yes, they did. Yeah, mm-hmm. and that is extremely... What was So Sonic 2 came out in what, 92, 93? Uh, yeah, it was November of 1992. Okay, and so putting out a game that fast, impressive, uh, after the first one, and then also launching it simultaneously across the world on a Tuesday was would be extremely impressive for 92. Yes. Yeah. Um, I know that they had lots of news outlets covering this particular release. So it was at that time, the highest profile release of any video game. Wow. Uh, Here's a, here's a graphic that I found. Um, Now you'd probably have to go into the details as far as how they, they figured this out. But this is like a a little pie chart that says the Genesis controlled 39% or accounted for 39% of the market. Uh, Super Nintendo, 48% of the market, so not that much more. Uh, and then you had the Turbo Graph, Gra- Turbo Graphics PC Engine at 10%, uh, 
the Atari Jaguar at 0%, so I'm assuming that's a <laughs> small number. Uh, 3DO at 2%, Sega 32X at 0%, and the Philips CDI oh, no. at 1%. <laughs> So oh, wow, 1%? Yeah. yeah, so it was definitely down to the Super Nintendo versus the Sega Genesis. We all remember those commercials. You know, we all remember the magazine ads. The Sega does what Nintendo don't. And uh, some brilliant, mar- brilliantly aggressive marketing on yes. Sega's behalf. Uh, to To put up a commercial of a guy showing the price and the graphics between the Super Nintendo and the Sega Genesis. That that blew my mind. That was, if, if Sega didn't have the games to back it up, like with Sonic, I feel like that it would have been obnoxious. But since it was a viable competitor, even if it was just you know one or two series, I do feel like that it worked quite well. Right. So that answers kind of a question that I, that I had was, well, do you think that Sega was too aggressive? Not for what they had to do. Right. Which was I'm taking down a giant. I'm surprised yeah. it worked as well as it did. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I don't think they were too aggressive. I mean, I think in that it created the console wars, and yeah. we still have our own console wars today, so much time later. It's certainly, well, in the fan base, it's it's extremely toxic. It can be. But I don't think that the big companies are as toxic toward each other as they were back then. Um, between Nintendo and Sega, you know, you watch, uh, you watch the whole thing that went down in the nineties with violence on video games and Nintendo and Sega were just stabbing each other in the backs, like constantly. So there was some crazy stuff that went down there, but I do think that the aggressiveness of Sega created indirectly that aggressiveness in the fans and brand loyalty and all the fuel that, that, uh, that stoked the fires of the console wars. Um, so another question for you, what is Sonic's legacy? Sega, as we all know, isn't producing hardware anymore. Um, they may in the future, who knows? Um, but what, what's Sega's legacy or Sonic's, pardon me, what's Sonic's legacy? We talked a little bit about the console wars. Um, I have written down here, mature gaming, um, that was one thing that, you know, Sega tried to market was that the Sega Genesis is for the gamer that's growing up and yep. Nintendo's for kids. And we still have that, that mentality today that Nintendo is for, is for children. So mm-hmm. what do you, what do you think on, on those things as far as legacy? Um, I do think that Sonic, uh, definitely took a few missteps going forward into like the quality of its games, trying to target, Going from targeting more mature gamers to actually targeting kids with a lot of their 3D Sonic releases, um, I do feel like that Sonic Mania has come along and has worked pretty well to patch up Sonic's reputation of late, but the majority of gamers are going to know Sonic these days for the subpar quality of his games. Right. So that, that answer is kind of another question that I had, which is what happened? to Sonic. Why do you think he he just doesn't translate into 3D? Well, the boost formula which you can find in colors and generations proves that he works pretty well in 3D. Mm-hmm. Um I really 
I really think that those games are like the best that you can do if you're going to do like strictly speed gameplay. Uh, before Lost World came out, I said that a slower paced uh, platformer game in 3D would actually work pretty well for Sonic. Since Lost World came out, I have changed my mind on that because <laughs> I'm not sure what else they could have done besides make a Super Mario Galaxy-esque uh, title. Hmm. Um, and if you don't know, that's the title that came out on the Wii U uh, a few years ago. Um, so... Yeah, I feel like that at this point, I'm hoping that Sega is moving towards embracing the fact that classic Sonic works very well from a gameplay perspective, but that 3D games, they need to be, I guess, in very low quantity, if at all. Mm. Um, So I just, I feel like that, yeah, he didn't translate particularly well. Yeah. I mean, there are things to like, but they're, are definitely a lot of things not to like right and also Few and far between right is what yeah, you would say yeah and sega also rushed a lot of the 3d games through development mm-hmm. and i know that that worked with sonic 2 even though sonic 2 was supposed to be even bigger and better than it was but when it comes to designing 3d games those are things that just can't be rushed it's yeah. finished when it's finished yeah i like what you said earlier about uh about Sega's aggressiveness being something that they had to do considering Nintendo was the juggernaut of the market. Um, And then, so I think that to give them their credit, they had to do some rushing because then the PlayStation one came out, then the N64 came out and you had games on both of those consoles, some of which didn't haven't aged (laughs) well at all. And then some, which, uh, which have I think that Super Mario 64 um, has its own camera issues, but in a lot of ways it it remains way more playable than a lot of other um, 3D platformers from that time. And then on the other hand, with PlayStation One, you've got games like Metal Gear Solid in a 3D environment and uh, Final Fantasy VII in a 3D environment in different genres. And I I think that. Sega saw that coming on the horizon and they saw, you know, the games that were coming out. And I understand if, if it were me, I probably would have panicked and put out things a lot faster before they were at their best, before they were polished. Um, so, but I think that does account for where, where Sonic's been for the past, you know, decade and a half, two decades. Yeah, you look at Mario games, you you brought those up earlier, and you can see that each of the 3D Mario games just has impeccable quality. Um, I mean, you were talking about Mario 64. If even a Nintendo 64 game uh, can have a level of replayability even now in 2018, but then you look at Sunshine, the Galaxy games, and then uh, even... Um, 3D World and especially Odyssey. I mean, you can see that all of those uh, just they have put in a lot of effort to make sure that those are polished to the point of being just you know fantastic games in their own right. Right. Yeah. And uh, this Sonic doesn't do that. Yeah. Not all the time. No, exactly. And this sort of answers a question that we got from Kale at Hal One One K on Twitter. If that's Hal Eleven Thousand. A, a reference to 2001 A Space Odyssey. Kale, you're my new favorite person. Um, he asked, what are your guys' thoughts on Sonic's unsuccessful attempts at transitioning to 3D while Mario has gone from strength to, th- to strength? I think we've been talking about that, and I think that um, 
I, I was I was thinking about that question earlier, and I was going to ask you what was the last terrible Mario game you've played. I can't think of one. Yeah, I I legitimately can't think of. I mean, there was a couple in the Game Boy, right? Uh, like I mean, and and terrible. <laughs> like you you hated it. People hated it. Critics hated it. I didn't like New Super Mario Brothers two on the uh-huh. 3DS, but I didn't hate it by any means. Right, and and I. Like, so I was struggling to think of that too. And I was like, well, darn it. Uh, and I thought of Mario is missing. Um, <laughs> so I was like, I guess, was that even like an official game? I don't know. I don't think it was. Yeah. Oh, that game sucks. So, <laughs> so there you go. But um, I think that, well, even from the beginning with Super Mario Brothers uh, on the NES, that game has a lot of polish to it and a lot of really great quality um, uh, gameplay and physics to it. And Mario since has has been something that's not gone away. Like you, you wonder why why aren't people sick and tired of of Mario already? I mean, it's been around for thirty years, and yet Super Mario Odyssey came out, and people were like, <gasps> "It's something I've already played, but I want to play it again." <laughs> you know, yeah, I mean, pulverized sales from like any other game on the Switch, which is incredible. Yeah, I mean, considering <laughs> the Switch, you know, was a brand new console. And and didn't have the kind of um, user base out yet, but uh, yeah, and Odyssey was a joy to play. It it didn't okay. it didn't pave new ground uh, in a lot of senses. It felt like an update on Super Mario sixty four, but it was just a delight to play. So I'm looking forward to Sonic Mania because I want I want a delight for Sonic, mm-hmm. and I want something. Uh, I want to see this character have a future um, other than being on Nintendo's Super Smash Brothers roster. Uh, It's cool that he's there, but uh, it'd be cool to see them innovate on the character with opportunity to make that innovation a little more polished. Okay. (laughs) Regarding uh, like the 2d Sonic games, there's a lot of them that you can't go wrong on at all. Like, Anything that you say about 3D Sonic games, most of the 2D Sonic games do a very good, consistent job of innovating. Even some of the handheld titles, like Advances 1 through 3. And uh, I know that I mentioned Sonic Rush on the DS in back when we were doing like the console-by-console console daily sort of post. I think I put Sonic Rush as like the fourth best game on the DS. Mm. So um, it's... A completely different ball game when it comes to 2D Sonic games. Um, I think it does have that same level of polish that a Mario game would. Mm. Well, that's interesting. So I've I've got a lot to play now. Yes. So a couple a couple of final uh, points here. Uh, this is from Blue Williams at Writer's View on Twitter, who asked uh, something along the lines of maybe talk about the cultural impact of Sonic versus Mario. Uh, and then she said, but I'm sure you had that on your list already. <laughs> right. and we did talk about the comparisons between Sonic and Mario, Sonic's legacy versus uh, Mario's legacy. Mario is one of those things that that it's like, uh, Mario's for children. And then a Mario game comes out and you're like, I want to play that so badly, <laughs> you know? Um, but yeah, I think Sonic Mania, we, we didn't talk about Sonic Forces at all, did we? Um, yeah, so I don't, know, I don't know if we want to talk about right. Sonic Forces. So that was 
when you look at the success of Sonic Mania and then the lack of success of Sonic Forces as far as its reception from fans and critics and yada yada, all that, um, I think that encapsulates what we've been talking about and what you've talked about as far as 2D versus 3D Sonic games. When I think of Sonic's legacy, I think of things like furries and that unfortunately and that was that to me was sonic forces i was like this is like a furries game you get to create your own sonic character right in it it has character creation it does have you played um, it uh i started playing it and it's really i was like okay this is more of the same sort of thing um i was looking forward to forces because i know that it followed uh, many of the same design philosophies as colors and generations but once i started playing it it just it seemed not as polished and not as good but yeah there's a character creation i think it shows that sega is still trying to market towards uh the younger audience that maybe grew up with the 3d sonic games mm-hmm. um, and really just a lack of understanding of where its core audience comes from i see um so we were also asked by meow tae ching which sonic design do you like the most and we've both seen that image uh, that they shared of all the Sonic designs. I don't think Sonic has changed too much over the years, but you can tell he's gotten taller and lankier and a little slicker in his design and not so chubby and cute. Um, I like the Sonic Adventure one. I always did since I first saw it, even though I haven't played the game. I like how he looks like he's going into a role. It looks very 90s. It looks very much to me like those uh, those shirts in hoodies you saw in the nineties where you had like the Looney Tunes characters and like street gangster suits with like their, their hats turned sideways. Um, but regardless, that's the, uh, that's probably my favorite Sonic design. Just looking at those images and not having any real connection to the games themselves. What about you? Um, I definitely like Sonic Mania's design. Um, I know it's a 2D design, but to me, it basically combines all of the elements from the four classic Sonic games, well, from three, because Sonic 3 and Sonic and Knuckles had the same design, but it combines all of them into basically one. And so I really like the color of Sonic Mania's like design. I really like the kind of the quirkiness that they put into like the animations. Uh, so it's, uh, it's a really neat amalgamation of the bunch from the classic Genesis games. I like Sonic 2's design for some reason. It's like a deeper blue color that I really like Hmm. um, more than I like Sonic 3's even. So yeah, two of them that I kind of like from the classic series, I guess regarding the 3d ones, maybe um, maybe adventures like yours would probably be my choice. Okay. The original 3d version of him. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) Um, and final question here. This is from uh, Stevel Gaming at Gaming Stevel on Twitter, who asked, "Do you think Sonic's image as a cool character hindered him, especially as cute animal mascots went out of style and gritty first-person shooters became the new cool?" Uh, I do think it hindered him, but I don't think it had to. You see a lot of characters evolve over the years to change their personality subtly and to have personality growth that matches the culture. And Sega could have done that with Sonic. Yeah. They kind of didn't choose to. Hmm, That's an interesting response. I was thinking that, um, that Sonic 
well, one part of his legacy was paving the way for cooler gaming or gaming for adults and teenagers, definitely creating a platform for the PlayStation. Um, and Sega sort of wasn't able to hold on to that. We're the platform for, for older, mature gamers. Uh, and they sort of went over to the PlayStation instead, instead. Um, but uh, yeah, I think that, uh, I think that Sonic's design hit a point where he was sort of too edgy, at least for me, where I was like, I don't even like this guy anymore. Like he doesn't have that, like rather than sort of like a sarcastic charm to him that, that was endearing. He just looked a little mean to me. Um, to me, to me, the Sonic adventure stories really kind of encapsulates what you're talking about. Um, they decided to go in a kind of dark edgy direction and Sonic's personality just did not in any way match the personality that you would expect from classic Sonic. Ah, okay. I see. So in closing, uh, we just wanted to do what we always do and talk about, uh, one or two similar games to Sonic one that you would recommend. Um, so go ahead, you can go first, and I'll close us out after that. Okay, one of which is going to be interesting, because it's a Nintendo game, um, and it's on the DS. It's Kirby Canvas Curse, ah. which uh, I know that's going to seem surprising, but it has surprisingly similar physics to Sonic in that, you know, you're a ball, you roll up, you use momentum-based physics to get through levels, except in this case, you've got a kind of a, a drawn, you, you draw it yourself and you are able to, you know, get Kirby where you want him to go. But in many ways, there are elements of speed there that are actually pretty reminiscent of Sonic. Wow. Uh, that's interesting. I never would have thought of Kirby. Uh, and I haven't played that one anyway. What's a, do you have another title? Um, I can't think of another title that, uh, I guess captures much of the same spirit yeah. of Sonic okay. besides that one. So it's a pretty niche sort of, uh, method of doing platformers. Yeah. I'd agree with that. I had a heck of a time trying to think of one. And then I thought of one that I'd played recently. It was Rayman legends. Um, really? Yes. Have you played Have you played Rayman Legends? I have. Okay. I'm not sure so, I ever thought Sonic the Hedgehog when I played that. Yeah. I'm interested in so this. So I was impressed. Now, bearing in mind, I'm about halfway through Rayman Legends. Um, but I was impressed at the uh, pace and the momentum of okay. of some of the level design and, and that the character could achieve. Now, he never got as fast as Sonic. But um, there are definitely stages where you're encouraged to not stop and keep moving. Um, there's the musical stages. I mean, one of the one of the best platforming stages I've ever played in my life was that Tower Rock stage, um, where I think it's set to the music of uh, was it Black Betty or something like that. And uh, you have to maintain some level of of forward momentum. But then there's other stages where, you know, you're escaping from a firewall that's chasing you and uh, and it gets pretty quick. And I felt like you had to be on your toes as far as your reflexes to hit jumps correctly, especially to see what's coming. It wasn't as fast as Sonic, but I think that was something that I liked in that you could see some hazards um, just on the edge of the screen when you needed to to make a jump or something like that. So that's the nearest that I could think of. Um, I don't, that was also the first Rayman game I've ever played too. 
Um, that was a good choice. So I don't know. Well, thanks. I don't know anything about uh, the Rayman character, if he's the same personality as Sonic. But as far as game design, um, I caught a, a few whiffs of Sonic, maybe because I played both of them in a fairly close span. But anyway, that, ladies and gentlemen, is our take on Sonic the Hedgehog 1. Make sure to let us know if you disagree, if you agree. Let us know what side of the console wars you were on if you were around back then. Um, And I'd like to thank my very special guest, Matthew of Normal Happenings, for joining me today. Thanks a lot, sir. Thank you for having me. Yeah, no problem. Hey, we should do it again sometime. Definitely. Yeah, I have to play more Sonic games, though. So (laughs) we can... Well, I'll play Mania, and then we should have a a Mania episode. Absolutely. I'd love to do that. All right. I could talk forever about Mania as well. Sounds good. (laughs) All right, man, and I'll catch you later. I hope you enjoyed that episode of MageCast as much as I did. If so, please follow, subscribe, share, and leave us a review to help us reach a wider audience. If you enjoy our work, please consider supporting us and our vision for the future of gaming conversations through patreon.com forward slash the well-read mage. Special thanks to my magely colleague, Brent Mead, for sound editing. The MageCast theme song, Post Atmosphere, was composed by fellow mage Russell Gordon and can be found on his YouTube and SoundCloud. This episode may be over, but the legend will live on. Passed down by the dwarves, the elves, and the dragons.